podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to the WhoCast, the audio service of Who's Place. This is Season 3, Episode 13. I am your host, Val Prohaska, and I'm joined by our producer, Seattle Who. And Hello. we especially welcome uh, our lead analyst, Seattle Who, St. Lou Who. Welcome, gentlemen. Good evening. Hey, sorry I threw you off there with my uh, my little hello, I can tell. Well, I forgot that we had uh, St. Lou on, so. <laughs> nice to know I'm memorable. Well, you know, <laughs> you only you only rarely grace us with your presence. You, know. you well, family well, guys, I swear you're just yeah, so unreliable. Freedom of my schedule yeah. to do this on a more routine basis. I'm a few years away from that, I think. Yeah. That or unemployment, but hopefully that, that doesn't come along. No, we don't want that. Although it's uh, Sunday night, 10 o'clock Eastern as we're recording this. So yeah, uh, it's 9 o'clock for St. Louis. So, yeah. you know, we're <laughs> trying to make it as easy as we can because it uh, works for me. I don't have anything to do on a 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. So certainly an easy schedule for me. But uh, we just wanted to uh, let people know that uh, if you missed it, uh, Seattle Who and I were joined by Wonderkin Zach Carey on Wake Up on Wahoo Wake Up, which is on our YouTube channel now, and that's going to be a regular function that we're going to be uh, doing on uh, on Saturdays game days from now on. And sometimes on. during so, the week, uh, check us out. Yeah, I, my, my goal week, is to okay. do one. My goal is to do one for every game day, but sometimes during the week, uh, it, it it gets difficult, and also. Um, been having some stupid technical issues with the software that I definitely have to get figured out with tech support there. Because one, because we paid good money for it, so they damn well have to make it work. And two, because I want to do this. I like it. It's fun. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a good episode, and uh, we hope to uh, be able to get us started. You know, every game day then. So yeah, and then so, in the uh, you know in the fall that. football too because. Football it's, is a great one for, for the whole game day hoopla. So. But we'll see. So we're always striving to uh, provide better coverage and better service here at East Place. So, uh, you know, that's what we're doing. We're doing our part of uh, bringing the, the, the sport to all of Wahoo Nation. Anyway, we've got uh, – we're going to just uh, – it's been a while since we've been able to uh, talk hoops last week, for those of you who missed it. Uh, Seattle and I had uh, women's soccer head coach head Steve Swanson on and he graced us for an hour so uh, that's on the website if you've missed it uh, has a lot of talked a lot about uh, what it's like to uh, try to coach in the midst of this pandemic so even if you're not a soccer fan necessarily you know what Steve Swanson went through and all fall is what uh, Tony and the boys are going through right now yeah so yeah, it's but, crazy. Uh, we've got three games in the in the can here, so we're going to start off talking with the uh, looking at the beginning part of our ACC schedule. Yeah, I, I think primary takeaway, Seattle. It's my primary takeaway is that ACC play seems to be the tonic for what ails Virginia basketball. Um, it, this is more than once. I, you know, the the signature. Example is 2013-14 when, when we absolutely sucked in the non-conference schedule. And then ACC play rolled around and it was like a totally different team. I know the red truck 
Joe Harris and that meeting get the credit, but having seen this similar thing now this year and a couple other years, it just seems like the comfort, the familiarity of conference play just seems to you know have a settling effect on Virginia teams, you know, Bennett teams, because we're what now thirteen and zero under him and in ACC openers, which is phenomenal, and three and zero in the season, and you know some of the issues have remained, and the, the defense is getting better, but it still at times is is absolutely putrid, uh, especially early in the game in, in the first half, but the offense um, is really clicking. The offense of the statistics are very strong across the board. Yeah, it's um, we. I've gotten kind of used to seeing us take the occasional stupid non-conference loss, um, whether it's dropping one to uh, like what we did to San Francisco to a mid-major. You know, we've done those before. We've lost it at was it George Washington, right? Uh, back during the Brogdon era. Um, and um, or whether it's taking some lumps at a at a power conference team or power team like I'll, I'll go ahead and include Gonzaga in that because obviously Gonzaga is was a Final Four participant a few years ago and um, now it's Gonzaga got to remember exactly. it's Gonzaga yeah, it's, you know we, and, and you know we, we look at the the loss we took at Purdue last year um, you know going all the way back to that Tennessee loss you know we, we got a little spoiled there a couple of years where we didn't lose many um, in the non conference but. You know, with new faces, it was always going to be expected that there was going to be a little bit of a learning curve. Um, getting getting new faces like Reese Beekman, Trey Murphy, uh, Sam Hauser integrated into the defense. Um, even Justin McCoy, who is a sophomore but didn't play a lot last year, you know, there's nothing like a substitute for for live game reps to, right. to get the and Caden Shedrick. Yeah, and Caden Shedrick, of course. Yeah, he's we're seeing a lot of him um, off the bench at the five when he's available. So, you know, it. Seeing the defense need some time to come together, especially with the the added hurdle of losing, you know, two and a half weeks in early December to a COVID shutdown. Um, you know, not getting our game against Michigan State, not getting our game against Villanova, um, having to reschedule our game against William Mary. It, it's it was a lot to deal with, and so it it didn't surprise me that it took until game you know, game seven, game eight for the defense to really start to, to, I'm not going to say look like a, a peak Bennett defense. I mean, clearly this defense still has some work to do to get to where we want it to be, but to look night and day compared to the team or, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, giving up, um, you know, open looks to, to Kent state and, you know, getting run all over by Gonzaga. Um, it, it, yeah, we gave up 40-point second halves to both San Francisco and Kent State. Yep. And, yeah, keep on Kent State the game. It, it, we, we won, but we needed to go to overtime to do it, to beat a team that's, you know, 130th in, in Ken Palm rankings and mm. you know, isn't expected to be much of a contender in the MAC. Uh, yeah, the defense the defense needed some time to come around. It, it's a little bit of a bummer. Uh both UVA fans and national college basketball fans, casual and experts alike, tend to take the Bennett defense for granted and and don't recognize that when you have new faces, not just in the team, but in starting roles. I mean, look at it with Trey Murphy right now. I mean, we started three new faces in our last couple of games mm-hmm. uh, with, with Reese Beekman starting along with Trey and um, 
and and um, Sam or that's three people who didn't play UVA basketball last year, two who weren't even on campus and, um, you know, expecting them to just, you know, have their pack line assignments down. Here we are two months, not even two months in the season, a month and a half in the season. And it's probably about where we reasonably could have expected it to be. Yeah, it's getting better. And like I've said before, a, a couple of things, you know, this defense is very difficult, particularly on the four, but it's difficult on forwards and big men in general because most of their responsibilities are off ball and off ball is where all the decision making and the recognition takes place and the rotations and, you know, having to adjust and, and read the game and that, that kind of stuff, it, it takes experience to be good at it. And it takes experience to, to have that, the kind of recognition that it, that it takes to play this defense effectively. And when you have a little bit of breakdown in, in communication or even just one guy, one big man who doesn't recognize and doesn't make the right rotation, it can fall apart. And we've struggled with it sometimes in past seasons, but this is the first season since at least 2013 where we have really not had we we've had as little experience in defense on the front court as we have this year. We of the guys who are playing, Jay Huff is the only player the only one with any kind of significant experience in the defense. And when you say that, you know, you know the defense is going to struggle. It's There's just no way around it. So it's not at all surprising how bad the defense has been. I don't care that Hauser was here last year and working with the scout team and Caden Shedrick doing the same thing. And, it, and like you said, St. Louis until you see the floor and get out there and have coaches developing game plans and, and coming up with strategies to put you in situations until you've done that a few times, man, you're just not going to get it. And that could have something to do with why Sam Hauser's not hitting his threes is so much of his brain is, is trying to wrap itself around his defense. Like I think we talked about a comment Anthony Gill made in an earlier show where he said it wasn't until February that he really mastered the defense, and so it wasn't really until February that he could really get into his offense. And I think we might be seeing that with Sam, because uh, the three-point shooting, it's not fluid at all. He's just the occasional shot, but you know, he's just not, he, he's not in his flow out there beyond the arc. So I, I think maybe we'll see yeah, that later. That, that- I mean, the, the offense and the three-point shooting has been, um, you know, we, we got a little spoiled in that first game against Towson uh, when when everybody was just lights out and couldn't miss. Um, but, you know, the, our 3-0 and ACC start has come kind of in spite of poor shooting from around the horn. Um, I think really uh, Trey Murphy is the only player uh, that's hitting better than 33% on his threes. Um, well, I took that back. I think he Hop is, Hop he is 41. Well, I was going to say in ACC play. Um, yeah, okay. just over the last three games. And, and Kihei is, is really not taking a lot of volume. I feel like he's passing some up that I'd like to see him take if he's worried about getting his shot blocked or if he's just trying to be overly deferential at this stage. Um, but, it, you know, the, 
you mentioned Sam. Sam is only shooting at 30% through the first three games of ACC play. Um, you know, Jay, is, is, his three-point usage has been very low, which, again, it's hard to argue with Jay because he's, he's, I mean, basically can't miss from two. I mean, he's, he's, his efficiency from, on twos is, is so absurd mm-hmm. that, this, um, that it's hard to ask him to step out and take threes. But, um, you know, Wolda Tensai, who was our, you know, quote-unquote sniper and just was our volume three-point shooter last season, hasn't made a three-pointer in ACC play yet. Right. It's 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 very worrisome you know, that looking strictly at ACC stats, Virginia actually in ACC play only has the worst three point team shooting of all 15. As, hmm. as it's, we're only making a little under 30 percent collectively through those first three games. And I get small sample size both for us and for you know the other teams in the league. But, you know, after watching um Watching the, the poor three-point shooting last season, um, where I mean, you know, we hit 31% in change as a team, uh, you know, and that really hurt us through a lot of the season. Um, you know, seeing us struggle again this year, even with guys like Wolda Tensai, Trey Murphy, Sam Hauser, guys who are known as three-point marksmen, um, yeah, it's a little worrisome, and, and I don't know how much of that you pin on the defense and focus on the defense and practice and trying to get that nailed down, or you know, running that defense is wearing guys out and taking them out of their rhythm. But you know, hopefully that's something that it's just it's anomalous. It's it's small sample size, and and we can get that worked out here before too long. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, part of the problem is that you know, of both Murphy and Hauser, I mean, they've logged serious minutes these last two games. So, you know, I mean, our other than Huff, I mean, our starters are averaging about 36 minutes a game each of the last two games. Now, I'm sure that has to do with the fact that, you know, Casey Marcel has been out due to, um, you know, COVID tracing, COVID protocols. And, you know, Shedrick is what hurt his back. I mean, he played three minutes against. Uh, he had an illness. And then Tony said after Boston College that he has a non-COVID related illness. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, so Statman, um, since we came back from the COVID break either, and he was a guy who was averaging, you know, 16 minutes a game right. through the first few games. You know, it's not to say necessarily that he would be playing a major role, but you don't even have that option. Uh, I mean, we saw so, Carson you know, McCorkle hit the floor. Wouldn't surprise me at all that these guys are, wouldn't surprise me at all that these guys are exhausted, you know, and, and that's got to be playing you know, as part of it, you know, just the minutes that they're logging. So, yeah, I think with some so, of these, yeah. I think it's different things with each player in terms of the three point shooting. Uh, uh, you know, I talked about Sam. I, I think Thomas, uh, I'm just going to put it out there that, you know, he, he was a great shooter at the GCO level. This is the ACC. And, and I think he's just, you know, maybe a little bit in over his head. And, and sometimes what I see, he he often is not really ready to shoot on the catch. There have been several times where if he was ready to, you know, to just catch it and put it up, he might do better, but he's doing a lot of these take a dribble and sidestep once, and I, I don't really, I, I don't see that as being a high percentage look. Not Definitely not like when you, you can, you know, just catch it and go up. Um, and then, you know, Jay and 
Kihei, the sample size is so small. They're just not taking, they're taking what, one or two shots a game? Yeah. And it, you know, that, that shows nothing. And, you know, at least Jay's always on the rim. And, well, and Kihei has just been in love with getting to the rim this year. And it's hard to argue. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean Jay's three-point shots, the ones that missed, they're at least they're hitting the rim. Yeah. You know, so it's not like he's way off. And um, we saw, or, you know, early last year, his, his three-point shooting percentage was down, was low, and he was only shooting one, maybe two a game. And then the last 10 games of the season, he started – his attempts went way up and, and he hit like almost 50% down the last 10, 10 games. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. So I think the only one that, that I'm worried about at all is, is Hauser. You know, you got a career 45% three-point shooter. He was down at like 30%. And for this team to reach the levels that we think he can reach, we need, we need Marquette Sam Hauser. He's that three that three point shot and you know and his free throws you know he's he's missed a lot of free throws um you know he's a 90% free throw shooter so he's doing fantastic in the post he's he he has been pretty much automatic in the post up which is a huge weapon and I'm glad to see that coming up as often as it is but we're going to need to get his three point shooting um you know to come come up to form because Trey Murphy's not going to be able to carry us. Yeah, you know, it, it's he, Sam's post-up game. We talked about Huff, um, you know, just being automatic at the rim. Kihei has been doing a great job of getting to the rim this year. Even, you know, he's not taking a lot of threes, but he's scoring a lot. And it's because mm-hmm. he's getting to the rim very effectively and getting crafty. He gets blocked every now and again still or gets tied up and makes a turnover. But on the whole, it, it's actually looking a lot better than it did last year. But, you know, Surprising statistic, we're actually leading the ACC in two-point percentage um, Yeah, you know, through the first few games. You know, we're hitting almost 60% on our twos, you know, and that goes back to the, to the non-conference, too. We've just been lights out at the rim. But I do worry at some point that defenses are going to start to adjust and, um, you know, essentially start to pack line us and force us to start beating them with threes. Um, you, know, Clem, you know, we're going to run into some, some good defenses here. Uh, you know, starting, you know, next week, maybe, you know, we got Clemson coming up. Um, we got uh, Georgia Tech a week after that. We got the Syracuse zone, um, you know, all of that still in January. Those are some of the better ACC defenses. And that two point, uh, those two point opportunities might not be there with better, uh, better defensive coaches. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's got some rim protection um, and, um if uh, if that two percent's not uh, two two pointers aren't there, we're going to need the three pointer to to improve for us to be able to win some of those games. Yeah, I you know before I address that, I want to touch on something that um, that you said about Kihei. I just pulled up the stats and Kihei this year, his field goal percentage at the rim is sixty five point five percent. That's that's obscenely high for a point guard and especially someone who was down around 40% last year. I mean, it's a, and that's 44% of his shots are at the rim. So that, he's a huge weapon going, getting to the rim this year. 
and he's even hitting 40, 48% of his two-point jumpers, which is probably 15 percentage points higher than he was last year. It's his floaters, for what it's worth. Yeah. My, and, and he's really been nailing that floater this year pretty well. Mm-hmm. And notice the last couple of games, his turnovers are way down. We're back to being number one in the ACC and not turning the ball over. Yeah, well, it's thanks to Kihei and thanks to Reese Beatman, who right. uh, you know, had, had another incredible game taking care of the ball against Boston College. Uh, I think he played how, how many 37 minutes? 37 minutes. Seven minutes without a turnover mm-hmm. from a, lead, from a fresh, true freshman lead guard. And you know, not that he's going against the best of the best uh, backcourt defenses in that game, you know, Jay Heath and, um, uh, you know, has, has a bright future in the league, but, you know, he's not one of the, the best on-ball defenders that that, he, uh, that Reese is going to face. But still, I mean, 37 minutes, not even, not even just making one oopsie of a pass is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four, uh, three assists, no turnovers in 37 minutes. He also had three rebounds. Um, 0 for 4 from the floor, but I was pleased to see he hit all four of his free throws because that was something – he was hitting 50% coming into the game, and, and he, we need him to be up around 80%. So that the four for four. And I also want to give a shout-out to Jay Huff for his free throw shooting this year. You know, Huff's been a 50% free throw shooter through his career up to this year, and he has completely turned it around. Um, let's see. He is up to now, yeah, 89% from the free throw line. He was four for four against Boston College. So that that's a huge huge factor for us it's great to see him do that uh kihei needs to get his free throws up he's at 72 percent he was 85 percent last year hauser's at 75 percent he's a 90 percent free throw shooter so he needs to get that up um but everybody else you know trey murphy trey murphy justin mccoy casey morsell all are over 80 percent at the free throw line so as a team, it was nice. I think it's also a small sample size, but well, the ten size also at about eighty-three percent as well. As a matter of fact, he is now. This is interesting. According to Ken Palm, well, the ten side this year is four for four from the free throw line for ninety-nine point nine percent. Yeah, but the the one thing that just has to be said, and I don't actually think we've said this in all the time we've been talking so far. Is the, the the three wins we've got so far this year? Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that we're we're three and zero in ACC play to start the year. Um, you know, after that Gonzaga loss, but you know, we've played probably the clear cut three worst teams in the ACC. Um, you know, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Boston College are a combined zero and twelve in ACC play. You know, even mm-hmm. a, if you take out our games, they're zero and nine. Um, you know, these teams are are going to be battling out on the, the very first day of the ACC tournament. And, you know, again, it's better than, better than, uh, you know, losing to one of these bottom half teams. And certainly, I, you know, I'll, I'll, we, we see Notre Dame again on Wednesday, so that's going to be a game we need to win. Um, but we just, there's just so little we can take away from these wins. I mean, I think there's some things we can take away, but it, there's certainly no room to get overconfident after these. These are, Especially, you know, with Boston College was missing two starters. Notre Dame lost Trey Wirtz, um, you know, halfway through the game. One of their starters, you know, went down with a knee injury, wasn't able to finish the game. So, um, you know, it's th- there's an asterisk next to that three and a start for us. And 
if if we can you know start beating some of those middle tier teams like Clemson, um, NC State that we start seeing uh, a week from now, you know that's when we can start to feel good about ourselves. Right now, Clemson, I'm, we have to put it so far this year consider a top tier ACC team. Clemson, yeah. So this this season they are they're 18 overall in Ken Palm. Um, yeah, I think they're nationally ranked at this. Oh, point. they lost to Virginia Tech. Wow. Yeah, they're 19, I think. Yeah, yeah, but they, yeah, they, they, the, they had a big win again over Maryland in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They beat Purdue yeah. um, early in the season. They got a couple wins over SEC teams. And, I mean, Alabama, they, number yeah, they twenty-seven. State, Miami and NC State. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're three and one. Or sorry, three and one. Three and one. Yeah, but their three wins are are good ones. Mm-hmm. So that they they they're on a quick COVID pause. They they played NC State last Tuesday. So they missed their weekend game, and they'll probably miss their midweek game this week. So we'll be their next game. Yeah, John Ross pointed out today that he thinks they'll be back Tuesday or Wednesday practicing. So they'll have a couple of days to get warmed up. But at the same time, um, you know, is there going to be any rust? We'll see. Is, or you know, the bigger question is: Is there going to be any contract tracing issues to where, hey, we've cleared most of the team, but players X and Y? aren't going to be available. It's, it's something to worry about. I mean, we're looking at, at what we've, we've had with Casey Morsell, losing him for a couple of days, um, you know, sometimes just missing one or two starters just, you know, because they got caught up in a precautionary measure uh, that can have a big effect. So we'll see how they come back. But, yeah, that's going to be a tough game. Um, and we have to t- do that in Little John down in, in South Carolina. Clemson is hit, uh, historically a very tough team there. Uh, they they can lose some games on the road, but usually they knock off some of the better teams at home. They knocked off Duke at home last year, um, and uh, knocked off Louisville at home last year. Florida State at home last year. I mean that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big trio of wins on their home court last year when Florida State, Louisville, and Duke were all uh, you know top fifteen quality teams that were mm-hmm. you know, projected to do pretty well in the tournament. So yeah, they're doing uh, it on the defensive end. That's for damn. The sure. other problem is I don't know if you guys know or no, but you know we may be traveling down that day um you know with travel restrictions i mean we were talking to steve swanson and you know the worst loss that the women took was on a day that they had to drive all the way down to, to clemson which is seven hours in a bus so i don't care if you you know leave at six in the morning and get there at you know noon that's not the way to to prepare for a game at, well at, at least we is the red at least our our week midweek game is at home, so it's not like the women's soccer team where they had to go down to Duke on Thursday and then go back down to Clemson on Sunday. So that'll yeah. make it a little bit easier for these guys. Sure, but it's still the six-hour drive on the day that you're playing. I mean, he's part of this whole COVID restriction is you know not sleeping outside of your own beds. Well, I think know, they've been they've been possible. doing some overnights. So I, okay. the the logistics might be different. So we'll just yeah. I, I haven't looked see. to see what the Saturday tip time is. They may not have even released it yet. They've been shuffling right around so much right well, now. As of now, it's six, as of now at six p.m. Right. Um, but yeah, they, I'm I mean, sure the travel plans are written in chalk because they want mm-hmm. to be able to erase it and redo <laughs> it when 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 they sure. find out that you know Pitt, Pitts has another COVID cancellation and that game gets dropped and they need to reshuffle again. I mean, we saw you know our our game against Notre Dame this week has already been rescheduled twice from a um, a tip off time perspective. 
Right. You know, we still the- have to get that uh, first Wake Forest game scheduled. Yeah, we, well, we, we've lost two games so far in the ACC. We lost the Wake Forest game from back in the December. Oh, and Virginia Tech, right. And Virginia, and Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech. Right. We had our contact tracing. So, um, you know, we'll see where those land on the schedule. Um, yeah, I, I imagine it's going to be one of these domino effect things to mm-hmm. where um, a, another team gets slated to, to move into our bye weekend. So our, our mini buy right now, is uh slated to be um let's see uh it's late i think this year i don't even see one maybe we maybe yeah maybe yeah maybe we don't have a spot and yeah because i've got looking back from louisville saturday monday wednesday Saturday, Monday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, awesome. Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Hit Miami. So it's the weekend of February the 27th, 28th. Um, so that's Saturday the 27th we have an opening is um, is our one opening. Yeah, point. I guess. I mean, yeah. And so the, yeah, but we're playing on Monday, so it kind of cuts there, that. Yeah, it's hard at this point to do that. So you know, if maybe they do a, a domino series to to get us – one of our games against Wake or Virginia Tech. My guess is those games just wind up not happening. Well, I don't know because we got. I guess we got. We have Monday, Florida State, and then Saturday. Duke, so they could throw something in on a. Yeah, and, and I don't want. <laughs> no, don't throw anything in between those two. Holy shit! Because <laughs> those are both road games too. Ouch. To play three games in a week is doable. It's not ideal, but if right. we, you know you can go Saturday. Monday, Wednesday, or Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, you know, it's no worse than you do conference time or tournament time um, in terms of a you know games per week perspective. It's it's certainly no worse than an NBA player would do. And if you only have to do it once or twice, again, not ideal. But yeah, you know, maybe- between Pitt and Miami would be would be great because those are two home games there. Yeah, so and I'd like could- to see do it in January. Try to like you know if I look at the week of. Um, that last week of January, we play Syracuse on Monday, Virginia Tech mm-hmm. on Saturday. So there's a, there's room in there to fit something in on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Right. That's before classes start. Classes don't start again until February, uh, February 1st, give or take. So um, I think, yeah, Monday, February 1st. Is Do you ever slide that Virginia Tech game in there? Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's Just play good them time. back to back. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know if that's something they're Well, looking. they have a game with Notre Dame on Wednesday. When certainly you need to worry about. Um, scheduling the arenas as well right you can't have a conflict if, if there's a women's game that day but um i mean let's be honest there's, there's a pretty high chance the women's basketball team doesn't play another game this year really but that's a whole other thing and i'm not trying to open up that can of worms right now because i could go off on a rant about that for the next 20 minutes hmm. that's too bad yeah syracuse man who knows what they're doing they're up they're down they're up they're down I guess with their three-point shooting percentage. Yeah. So I do want to say I thought that um, in Boston College, when I first saw them go to a zone, I was like Wiley Coyote putting an apron around my neck and getting out the knife and fork and licking my chops at, at that thought. And then... Like Wiley Coyote, the freaking safe fell on on my head when it 
turned out we had no idea how to attack that zone because it was a it was a matchup zone with a, a man on the point i guess like a one one two two kind of three two base formation matchup zone and we had no you could tell we had no idea how to attack it um and you know matchup zones can be difficult because they're hard to diagnose and then we traditionally don't do very well against zones with a man up top because we we seem to try to attack them with our normal 2-3 zone offense and it doesn't work um, so for a long stretch of possessions we really had no idea what to do and that the um the tall goofy kid from the Netherlands was just what they needed under the basket because you know, we did a good job of trying to attack the rim, but you know, really ran into him and Well he had two blocks in four minutes, you know. Yeah. That didn't help anything. Yeah, at one point I tweeted out, I was like, We have no idea what to do. Just heave up threes, it can't be any worse. You know, just just throw up the threes and then go to the go to the backboard. But um it it just it floors me that Kihei in the middle of the zone works. We say what? Uh, that that just shouldn't work. It, it it just shouldn't work, and yet he. It just goes to show you that the the most important job you can have in the middle of the zone is the ability to make the right decision. Right. It's not about the ability to make the fifteen point shot over a seven footer, although that's certainly a useful skill to have in that position. But it's about the ability to 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 make a pass to to not turn the ball over. I mean, I. Remember, you know, you saw um, Huff turning the ball over, trying to play mm-hmm. the top of the key, or trying to play at the free throw line, because um, you know, he turned into turned into um, the help defender and got stripped. Mm-hmm. So Kihei is a guy that's going to get up there, and we used to see Ty Jerome do this: get in there, yeah, and and, and know how to pass the ball, whether it's to kick down to the to the blocks, whether it's to kick out to a shooter, or just to dribble it back out. I mean, either way, um, you know, knowing not making a bad decision and turning the ball over in the middle of the zone is really where, uh, you know, is really what you want to avoid. Yeah. I don't remember the adjustment that we made and I, I haven't broken down Boston college yet. So I, I, I just don't remember, but uh, eventually, and I think it was at halftime, you know, eventually Tony, or it might've been a timeout, but you know, Tony changed what we were doing and, put something in and, and it worked. And so we were at that point able to unlock that defense, but it was harried for a while as uh, we went eight minutes without a score. Yeah. And, in the first half, right? Yeah. Yeah. First half and just looked totally confused, just completely confused. Well, those, those were also the two minutes that McCorkle got. And, you know, at one point both, uh, you know, Hauser was out and we had McCorkle and uh, McCoy in at the same time. Yeah, it was a crazy you know, lineup. That's, that's our grade C lineup or our grade D lineup, you know, and and it just wasn't the wasn't the right set. So you know, McCorkle didn't come in again, and McCoy had maybe a minute, minute and a half in the second half. Mm-hmm. So as we rode, you know, we rode everybody else, and when Huff needed to come out, it was Kafar who came in for about three or four minutes. So wow, as well as we played in the second it. half. We were one for seven from the three-point line. Yeah, I mean that that just gets back to that that three-point discussion from earlier. You know, we mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's a that's 
there's a silver lining to, to the way to look at that and to say that once we get guys like Murphy and and um, and Hauser and and maybe um, some increased usage from um, from Kihei and Jay mm-hmm. starts to go back up, it's really going to unlock the offense even more. I mean, the offense has been pretty good. You know, certainly it's been above average so far. Again, that whole level of competition caveat. But if we can get the three point shooting to to level out to where Hauser's shooting like he's supposed to then you know the offense is really going to do a lot better and and you know really raise the ceiling on the ceiling but we'll see mm-hmm. um, no i agree i want to see well, i want to see I, justin I, mccoy I, start shooting that that three he's at two times now that um i've seen him he comes around catches that ball at the top of the key in a nice rhythm and turns faces the basket has a acre of space and then doesn't shoot it one time he wound up taking a shot after like a dribble or something which is much lower percentage but I I definitely want to see him take that shot in that first on a catch just turn and shoot it he can shoot that ball he can shoot that shot and he's made a couple of threes this year if Uh, he hits a couple from up there from that immediate shot it's going to bring his defender out of the lane because right now they're sagging way off of him. Yeah, I'd like to see him. If nothing else, maybe somewhere like the top of the key, run some actions right there, you know, dead center on the basket mm-hmm. to, you know, to maybe the easiest shot for a guy like him to take. Right. It's, it's really easy to visually line up. Mm-hmm. And if you could some some pick and pop actions for him there, um, that that could could open up a lot. Yeah, you're right. A lot for the, um, a lot for the offense. It's- yeah, he played he played really well in the second half. He, he's he struggles with his post defense when guys are posting him up, going one on one, and generally scoring. But he's doing a, a pretty good job in the regular defense. He's a strong rebounder. Um, you know, just really good energy. He was a pretty positive factor. For for Justin, Justin, it's all about where he's used in you know, position wise in the defense and the offense. He's he's a four. I mean, just there's, there's mm-hmm. no way around it to say it. he is a four. He's a power forward. Um, that's his game. But we already have a, a starting four and Sam Hauser, who's getting thirty some minutes a game, and. Um, Trey Murphy, there's an argument that, you know, Trey Murphy's natural position is to be a four as well. So mm, I don't agree. I don't well, agree. I, I said an argument. I did say it's definitive. Yeah, I, I think Trey's natural position is that is the wing forward. Yeah, and and I mean, I like him at the three, but he can play some four. I mean, he... he yeah. I don't think I should necessarily say he, that's his natural position, but, you know, to to get McCoy on the floor, we've been using him as a as a small ball five mm-hmm. um, an awful lot this year, and it is just not his his strong suit. Um, it's a bit out of necessity because you know obviously Jay Huff. If we could play Jay Huff forty minutes a game because Jay Huff could stay effective for forty minutes, could you know his conditioning allowed for it, and he could stay out of foul trouble for crying out loud. He was doing so good against Boston College before he just started picking up some dumb ones in the second half again. Um, if we need a backup five and we don't have one right now, um, 
Kafaro has just not developed the way we had hoped he would. You know, that by this point in Jack Salt's career, he was starting and playing pretty well, mm-hmm. um, you know, in his redshirt sophomore season. Uh, Caden Shedrick is still a redshirt freshman and looks good in spurts. He's looked good against weaker competition, but... Thing uh, is, in Jack's redshirt sophomore year... That was the year Nichols got suspended. Yeah, so we, I, I, that might be the biggest difference between with him and Kafaro. There was no Jay Huff, and uh, yeah. you know, and well, even Caden well, Shedrick, who's, you know, yeah, Kafaro's got but, a year but, of experience on him, but Caden, so talented. I know he's he's talented, but he's not there yet. Of course, we've missed him the last we missed him last game, um, but I mean, you, you look at when Jay Huff goes out, whether it's just because he needs a breather because he gets in foul trouble. And, you know, Tony's first reaction isn't to go to, to Kafaro, who's his most right. experienced, quote-unquote, you know, longest-tenured big man. Um, he goes to Shedrick sometimes, but a lot of times he's turning to McCoy. Mm-hmm. And McCoy, you know, I watched McCoy against Gonzaga and against Notre Dame try to defend guys like Drew Tim and Nate Leshevsky, and they just, or, or Jawan Durham, and they just posted him right up. They just went right over him. He is just... He's not a guy like Akil or Wilkins yet. I'm not trying to preclude that he could ever get there, but he is not a guy yet as a reg- or as a true sophomore who is going to even at six foot eight defend some opposing team's veteran seven. Yeah, he and, did. He did well against Durham in the second half. Um, in, in, in on the post up, he wasn't defending big men on the pick and roll very well. He was losing them on that, uh, and. He's just not there yet. Maybe by right. next year we'll get there. But for now, when when we play him at the four position, it's fine. I did not like the the early season starting lineup where he and how he and Hauser were starting together at the three mm-hmm. four. I thought that was a terrible pairing. Um, both offensively and defensively. Yeah. But um when, when he can be Sam Hauser's backup at the four, that is where he is best suited. And mm-hmm. then that's really the problem is there's just no good way to get him and Hauser on the floor together. Right or now. against next or, year when Hauser graduated. Or back up five against teams that don't have a big, a big five teams that essentially play a forward at the five. Yeah. Like I could see him doing well, um, being well suited to deal with the Amir Sims. And um, I think he's going to have a better matchup against Virginia tech when we mm-hmm. play them. Um, in a few weeks, because they have some good big men. Uh, Kevin Luma down there is playing well, um, and they got Justin Mutz, who sometimes comes off the bench, sometimes starts, is um, is pretty effective too. But they're smaller guys; they're like six, right. up six eight. They're more in line with with you know with what McCoy is, and that's a face up, big forward kind of big man. Mm-hmm. And I think we can see, uh, you know, we'll we'll see McCoy hopefully. Uh, get some better usage, be a better fit for games like that. Of course, Clemson, um, Clemson likes to play Amir Sims at the five a lot, and you know who. I mean, granted, Amir Sims is elite, and you know I worry about Justin McCoy matching up with him just from a skill perspective, but from a, a physicality perspective and a size perspective, it sh- again should be a pretty good matchup. Mm-hmm. And um, so we'll see, we'll see how he does in those next couple of games. Um, you know, NC State does have some true bigs, and we play them in a week. You know, I don't want to see him necessarily guarding DJ Funderburk for any long stretches. Or no, that'll be Kafaro's game right there. If if Tony will play him, but Tony has not 
seen fit to go to Kafara much. He didn't go to him against Tim um, or Leshevsky much. Uh, you know, against Gunzak I wouldn't. Or- I wouldn't play Kafaro against Drew Timmy or Nate Leshevsky. What are you nuts? But that, you put them against the bigs at NC State. That's yeah, because they're bigs. They're they're not going to be running around the three point line and and. Uh, Drew Timmy is just an exceptionally skilled post scorer. He's he's just one of those guys who's just got the knack of knowing. He just he reads shoulder lean and shit like that, and and sets you up. He's really good, really good. Um, and, and Manny Bates and and Funderburk are not Drew Timmy in the post. And you know, last year Cafaro played mostly. He, he got his biggest minutes against the two the two Carolinas. Because they were the teams that had, you know, all the true big men, and, and he played very well. He, did, he played very well against NC State. Uh, so the fact that he doesn't play much in any other game and doesn't it doesn't say to me that he's not going to play a lot against NC State. I, that's the game I'll expect to see him a lot, um, and we're going to see a lot of Caden Shedrick. Uh, we're going to, you know, when when Huff's out, one of the other seven footers is going to become an inform, and you know Hauser is. He's got some some strength to him. He's got a, you know, he's he's got grown ass man going on there. So, you know, he he can probably hold his own. But that's again, that's a game where we're gonna want want to get the size in. So, Kafaro is is still he's he's the kind of big man that I don't like for our system, in that he's big, relatively immobile. He's a, he's a battleship. He's a flat, you know, he's a battleship and other opposing teams, most opposing teams just but they'd he, run you all over the floor. It's not like he can't move pretty well. Um, for a guy his size, he is, you know, he's not a stiff and I don't think he ever was a stiff. I liked, I like that he can move pretty well around the paint. I think he can guard opposing big men in space to some degree. You know, right not, around the paint, but what teams do is they they drag you out and they have you running all over the arc. And that the teams that have you running all over the arc, that's where he just can't play. He's he's not equipped to be out there. Huff's not equipped to be out there, but he now has enough experience in the system that he can at least make good decisions. Right, exactly. So, um, but when you against those teams. That are going to play that heavy motion five out. That's where you're going to see. I, I think you'll see a lot of McCoy at the five, just because McCoy and Hauser that that gives you your best chance to have guys who can pick their way through all the traffic. That's really what it is. It's all the traffic out there that with all the handoffs and the you know the screens and the slips out there at the arc. It's just big men. You know, it's it's like. Driving a Hummer on on a crowded highway, it's you know it's tough. But I don't care about that. These might be the three worst ACC teams. You're, you're just not going to rain in my parade. It's been fun breaking down the film. It's been fun watching us look like Virginia again. And um, I think you know you just wait and you see. Where's Miami still going to be Miami? Where NC State still going to be NC State? Uh, this. When it comes down to the end of the season and we're locking horns with Florida State and Duke and Louisville, we're going to have 
a very small number there in the loss column, just like oh, yeah. every year. I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, um, <laughs> yeah, to, to rain on your parade. I know there's just that to add a little perspective. I mean, granted, again, we were doing this without Casey Morsell the last couple of games, who's our starting shooting guard. And, you know, we survived his <laughs> It's, it's um, you know, he might point. be our starting two guard, but he is not our starting shooting guard. He's still not a shooting guard. <laughs> yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I point out the missing pieces for Boston College and for Notre right. Dame. It, it, it is worth noting, you know, we too were also down three um, players, you, you know, a, a key piece as well um, between Casey, between Cody Statman, Caden Chedrick, you know, have all missed parts of, of some of these ACC games. So, um, you're right. You know, maybe at some point we'll be a, a fully operational battle station as well. And, and we can, um, you know, really put some screws to teams, especially that defense, uh, you know, put Casey Morsell back in that lineup against, you know, uh, like a guard dominant team. You know, I'm really hoping mm-hmm. we can get Casey Morsell back, um, you know, ASAP, but, uh, you know, we're going to play Virginia tech soon, uh, later this month and Virginia tech just got some excellent guards, and you're going to want Casey Morsell out there uh, defending them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if Notre Dame, you know, they've got some pretty good guards when they can actually heat it up. And, and having him out there is going to change everything, um, you know, really give us a nice, some nice depth. And it'd be nice not to have to play Kihei in 40 minutes a game and, and Reese Beekman 38 minutes a game and, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, um, just be able to give those guys a spell. Yeah, I, I think Kihei is is one of the more suitable players for playing those heavy minutes that I, that I've seen. He just, he just always seems to be the same. And, you know, I remember his, his freshman year, they talked about, they have that, what is that, that test that they run all the players through to test their, um, what their endurance or something. And, the only player that who's ever scored higher than Kihei did was Malcolm Brogdon in his senior year. I believe it. And he's really the only player that, you know, I like, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay with him playing, um, 40 minutes if, if he needs to, but you at least like to have the option to give him a spell. I mean, one of mm-hmm. these days he's going to get into foul trouble. Uh, one of these days he's going to take, uh, you know, just take, you know, get banged up, just have a collision on a pick or something that's going to, you know, tweak his knee and you're going to want to be able to have him sit for five minutes. And it'd be nice to, to be able to do that without truly uh, messing up your, uh, your rotations or without having to get too creative in who you play. Right. Like we don't want to have to see Carson McCorkle come in stone cold or like we did um, against Boston college. And it's not that. Yeah, that was like, I was like, who, who is that? Oh my God, that's Carson McCorkle. To, to, to um, you know, rain on Carson McCorkle, who I think is going to be great. But when he hasn't played at all in how many games, you know, meaningful minutes, really, and all of a sudden you just throw him in out of nowhere um, into a competitive ACC game and say, hey, you know, go score some points, go go try to stay in front of these experienced ACC guards, you know, it's just not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you haven't been preparing him for that. So I want to make another note about uh, Kihei's three-point shooting percentage. This should really put the sample size thing into perspective. 
He's hitting 30% of his three-point shots on the season. But if you take just one of his misses and turn it into a make, he's at 39%. So at this point in the season, (laughs) he shot 13. He's four for 13, which is 30%. Five for 13 is like 38.5%. So... And, and Reese Beekman's at the, exactly the same. They're both four for 13 so on the season. He's played nine games. He's taken 13 shots. Yeah. I mean, that, that will, that's the definition of small sample size, you know. Right. One and a fourth shots per game. But I actually like the fact that he isn't. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. his – he's not – he's decided he's going he's gonna to attack the rim. And the idea was that – you know, he went in all season knowing that he was going to have better outside shooters. So if he's decided he's not going to shoot and he's going to attack, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm loving how he's attacking down there. And, you know, he, we talked about it last year and everybody noticed it, you know, be Steve Nash like, I mean, he's dribbling around to keeping his dribble up, playing behind the backboard almost. And he's added the, the floater that we wanted him to do. And, you know, he's posting up guards. So, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, the highlight of the game was him, you know, posting up, you know, Ryan Kornack, you know, against Duke, or mm-hmm. was it Notre Dame, rather. You know, I mean, that was, that was that's my highlight of the season. You know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so you I'm know, he really has... worried about him not cheating. His, his success getting at the rim this year is... Is exactly what we were talking about preseason. The effect of of Sam Hauser and well Trey Murphy, who we didn't know about at the time, but the effect of having those two guys out there has is you know when when Kihei gets to the rim, he's not facing a a, a thicket because right. we've got guys out there that you can't leave alone. I don't care that Sam. Look, I don't care that Sam Huff's. You know, only shooting thirty percent from three in ACC play. Teams are still going to stay on him because they know yeah. he's a forty-five percent career three-point shooter. So it doesn't matter how poorly he'd he'd have to shoot fifteen percent for nine games in a row before some coaches can say, "All right, well, we can afford to leave Sam." Because every one of those coaches is going to be saying, "I am not going to be the one." who decides to leave Sam Hauser and gets lit up for 35 because he goes 8 for 11. Right. And the other thing is is that Sam does know how to hunt his three-point shot. I mean, he is moving very well to get them. Yeah, um, it's just when he shoots him. So you have to, he shoots you to, have me, to stick he, he looks to me when he's shooting like there's a lot of pressure on each shot. His His stroke isn't the same every time he's got one certain stroke where he seems to kind of bring it behind his head and it's kind of an exaggerated motion and every time i see that I'm like that one is not going in and then there's the ones where you can tell is his his actual stroke that's why i say there's some thinking going on there that, that it's going to go away and i think we're going to see well, of course it is i mean if if, yeah. if we know he's a career 45 percent three three point shooter he knows he's a career 45 percent shooter so he, he knows he's sucking right now from distance yeah so but what i liked especially you know was was you know in the in the second half of each of the last two games you know he became much more engaged much more you know 
driven to find his shot in close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he took over both of those second two game, second halves. And, I mean, I think he was the reason, you know, why that we were able to get that separation in both those games. So, I mean, he's starting slowly and trying to fit himself in. And then, you know, at some point something's sticking and he's like, like I've got to be the one to create this shot. And he's done it. I mean, he mm-hmm. was, he's six for seven in the, on the floor in the second half, you know, against, uh, against BC. And, and I think that was the, that was the margin of, of difference pretty much. Um, I've got, he was four for nine. I think you're thinking of Wake Forest. He was six for seven in the second half from the floor. Okay. Yeah, BC, I'm looking at it right now. It's five for 13, one for four from three. So that, that leaves four for nine. Um, 12 points, okay. five rebounds. No turnovers. We committed two turnovers in the second half against BC. Well, let's see Let's see if it, if it continues. Um, you know, certainly, I want to get to this Notre Dame game on Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, with one more win, take care of them at home. You know, we knock on wood, you know, we, Tony still hasn't lost to uh, Mike Bray in the regular season. So, um, wow. Yeah. We got, we got to keep this going uh, with one more win. At least let's get Casey Morsell back on the court uh, and looking pretty good. Let's find a way to, you know, lock down Leshevsky and Durham in a way that we weren't able to last time. Um, you know, Prentice hub has been, has been cold and you know, keep Kihei on him. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. You know, Kihei shuts down hub the same way he did last time, do better against Durham and Leshevsky, uh, you know, get more sell back and, and playing well. And, and I think if we can do those things, you know, we're, we're going to be okay in this game, mm-hmm. um, see more zone, but we're starting to see more zone the last few games. And, you know, if nothing else is given Tony, some good tape to, to work out, um, a plan of attack so we'll, we'll see how that goes and uh, you know after that you know, we can start the the quote-unquote harder part of the schedule um, you know we'll, we'll be done with those games against the bottom half you know the bottom third ACC teams for a little while and well, we'll see what the teams are made of I'm excited to see well that's why we watch so yeah I fortunately we we got to play Gonzaga um, because that Without that, we would have played absolutely nobody in the top 75. So, you know, when we do get to get into the better ACC teams, it's not going to be a level of of play that we haven't seen before. So, and as a matter of fact, everybody's going to look easy compared to Gonzaga. I yeah, I said this weeks ago. We're not. There is no team in the ACC that is anything close to Gonzaga. Um, right. The ACC is down this year at the top. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm higher on some of the teams in the middle. I think the mid tier of the ACC is improved this year uh, when teams are healthy and and at full strength. Mm-hmm. But the top, Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Florida State, are all a step back this year from from some of their best programs. Syracuse, same thing. They're good teams. Certainly, they're good teams this year. Um, but they are not. There is not a legit final four obvious final four contender in the ACC. Not saying that Virginia or mm-hmm. other teams can't go on a run come March, but you know, none of these teams are, are obvious one seed, two seed kind of teams that, um, that, that you want to just go ahead and pencil into the final four right now. 
and and you know that means that in theory you know we're not going to have that hard of a go as we have in years past that and that that Gonzaga loss while it stings while it sucks you know it's 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 not really representative of the kind of games we're going to be playing in, in ACC play over the next two months yeah yeah I, I, that that loss just doesn't bother me at all There was look. I told people before the game. I told people during some of the earlier games. I think it was the Kent State game. I said Gonzaga, we're gonna need to score a hundred to beat Gonzaga. And people scoffed at me. Tony's never given up a hundred. He's not gonna give up a hundred. I'm like, look, we play this kind of defense. Gonzaga's gonna put up a hundred on us. They didn't quite get there, but they hit 98. We would have needed a hundred to beat them. So it was you could see it coming well in advance because Gonzaga is as good a team as I've seen in college basketball in the last ten years at least. That team is really good, and they're it's, really good. They were really good early. They were you know there's mm-hmm. no growing pains on that team. I mean no. they were just they were they were clicking on all cylinders from the very first day. So, yeah, I mean, you know other than Suggs, they're a veteran team. Worried about losing to Gonzaga. Yeah. Other than Suggs, they're a veteran team, and, and he's, you know, he's a top ten talent. So yeah, yeah. As of now, the Ken Palm has them at a fifty-two percent chance of going undefeated. Mm-hmm. Undefeated, yeah. You know, be- better than fifty percent chance of going undefeated this year. I mean, that's that, crazy. Again, you know, it's, you say, oh, it's just the WCC. It was you know, but they beat they beat us. They beat Iowa. Hey, we're zero and two against the WCC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Virginia is zero and two against the WCC and seven and zero against everybody else. Yeah, but you know, with they, they double digit against <laughs> Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa, uh-huh. um, and us. You know, in addition to our, a a closer but still good win over West Virginia, neutral floor. You know, West Virginia before they lost um, uh, Oscar Shebway and and you know West Virginia is a, a top twenty team too. So they just they're killing everybody. It's that's just you know that's a game that we're just gonna roll our eyes out when we talk about years later, but it's, it's nothing to worry about. You know, mm-hmm. Tell me that we can, you know, if we can beat UNC, if we can beat NC state, if we can beat, beat those ACC teams, that's all I really care about. That's all I've cared about for years is tell me how we do in ACC play. I mean, and obviously the postseason NCAA tournament as well, but um, the winning, winning in, De- in November and December is nice. You know, winning those holiday tournaments is nice, but, at the end of the yeah. day, that's not what we hang our hat on. We hang our hang on hang our hat on our ACC wins, our ACC titles, and our postseason. So, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, you know, to, to me, when when we started ACC play with that, um, you know, with with Wake and and Notre Dame and BC, that's when the the real season started. Sure. Yeah, and, and it's nice you know, to the see. Thing, the thing about Tony though is that you know, for the last eight years, we are ten games better than anybody else in the ACC. Mm-hmm. And that's I not going to change this year. I, I don't care. I, I, I don't care about any of the things to be concerned about. This team is going to win. It, it it's going to win a lot of games. Look, we're going to. This team's going to win at least fifteen ACC games. I don't know well, if we're going to play fifteen ACC yes. games. Well, if we <laughs> if we play our twenty, we're going to win at least fifteen. Of them. I was going to. I was going to ask you how many games. It, you, you think we need to play to get to 15, you know, I, right. I, I would assume that, you know, it's not a given. We're going to get our two games rescheduled against Wake and uh, mm-hmm. attack. And I would assume, Jack, so. 
we'll, we'll probably so if we don't eat, if we don't get those two games scheduled, we're still going to win fifteen ACC say, let's, games. Let's, let's say if we play sixteen games, you think we're going to win twelve or thirteen? At least look, this team has a ridiculously high ceiling, and how many seasons out of Tony Bennett's time here have you seen his teams not get close to their ceiling? How many seasons? I can only think of one. And that's the 16, 17? Yeah. Every other year. Like, look, last year, that team blew its, that team blew its ceiling away. Oh, yeah. We sucked last year and still finished that game behind Florida State. This team has got too much talent. You can see the progress. Look, when we get, if we start playing defense at the level of the 2015-16 team, we're going to be really, really good. And just for those who don't, who don't know, that 2015-16 season, that's the worst, statistically the worst defense uh, of the peak Bennett era. And yet it was the second best uh, postseason we've had. Right, and the, and the second worst statistical defense during that stretch was the one team that won it all. And this team, and I think Tony knows it, and he's cool with it, this, this team is one that it, the teams that do the best are the ones that if you have to outscore, just outscore the other team, you can do it. This is a team that can do that. This is a team we have got, let's see, we've got one, two, three, four. We have four players who have proved at the Division One level that they can go off for 25 points on any given night. And then we've got another... Clark is, I mean, the house all-time high is 18. He's never proved he can go for 25. Hauser has, has gone over 30. Okay, so Hauser's, right. Hauser's it. Murphy has gone for 30. Wolde Tensai went for 27 against Louisville, and in the same game, Clark went for 23. All right. So those are my going four for 23 guys. and 27 once in their careers. I mean, Waldo doesn't look anything like what he looked like last year. He's playing seven minutes a game right now. Right. So I mean, it's it's Hauser could. And then we've and then we have you look at look Reese Beekman is a is a player who routinely went over 30 points in in high school. Yeah. The dude I, averaged yeah. almost 30 points in high school. So this is a kid who who has shown that he is. A lot of guys are not comfortable taking a lot of shots. You know, a lot of guys, and I think Jay Huff is one of those guys. So you might see Huff go for 15 and a half or go for, you know, 17 in an eight-minute stretch. But I don't, I don't really see him going for 30 in a game because – but Beekman is a guy who if he's beating his man, he'll keep beating his man. So we've got, this is a team, if we have to outscore somebody, their points are there. Hauser could go for 35 if he needed to. I mean, he's scoring 17, 18 points a game, and he's cold. Yeah. So that's why I... In the game, he's not, he's not going to go for 20. I mean, he's going to have one, maybe two games over, over 20 this year. 
No, he'll go. I no, he's gonna. No, 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 no. He's gonna have. Yeah, he's gonna have two games this year where he's touching thirty. We have look. We have a history of guys going off for thirty. Hauser is every bit a Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy scorer. Both those guys have gone off for thirty. He's, Sam's gonna have a thirty-point game this year, and he's gonna have, he's gonna have three or four over twenty. Like I said, he's he scored what? He scored seventeen points yesterday with two three-pointers. Well, okay. I mean, if he's able to start hitting his threes, but until then, he's not capable of doing that. I mean, I, well, I mean, until I, then, I, he's I agree not going to do that. Ceiling, we're, but we're, we're talking right. I'm talking ceiling. I, Val, I'm talking okay. ceiling. Yeah, I understand it's a ceiling, but it has to be based on something. You know, it is based on something. It's based on the, on the dude's history. Okay, well, he's not doing it. He's got over thirty points, like three or four times in his career, and that's in the Big East. I mean, the dude's done it. Which, yeah, he's okay. So if he's done it four times in his career, he did it one point three times a season. So maybe one sure. time this year he'll go for thirty, but I don't think he's going to. That's what I said. Out. Did that many? Well, I don't think we have four guys who can go off at any time for twenty-five. Well, we got one guy who can maybe do that. No, no. Mark it down. Mark it down. Okay. Let's come back to this at the end oh, of the season. Okay, we'll see. I mean, I'm bullish on this team too, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be. We're not going to be outscoring tons of teams because in 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 boat races. You know, it, yeah, you know, it's gonna be... we need to wrap this up, you know, soon. But, you know, they showed a graphic that we're averaging 73 points a game, which is the highest in, in the Tony Bennett era. And the, the offensive statistics are, are insane. You know, we're at 97% in synergy as a team. 97% efficiency. It's just, you look at the stats. Okay. This is a good offensive team. All right, anyway, so I hope we'd have a Wahoo wake up Wednesday for the Notre Dame game. We'll definitely do something on Saturday. So be ready, 9 a.m. Eastern time, people. And everyone be so ready. The idea is that we're doing that live, right? So we'll be as yeah, we're recording, that's... they can watch. Okay. Yes, that is the goal. And that is the goal. Okay. Uh, hopefully Monday I'll have the technical issue that cropped up on Saturday. I'll have that worked out with tech support from the software people. So, And everyone, figure out your solution for an early tip time on Wednesday, especially for those of us who aren't on the East Coast. And uh, it definitely is going to happen during the during the workday. Um, hopefully. Yeah, the Notre Dame yeah, game Wednesday is 4.30 Eastern <laughs> time. Current time, 4.30. The ACC needs to get games on the ACC network to sell out time and, and meet its obligations with ESPN. You know, this is the price we got to pay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we get to see all the games. I mean, that's uh, I'll, I'll pay for that. I mean, as a European soccer fan, I have woken up on Saturdays at six o'clock to watch games. So, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out a trying to figure out a midweek game midday is uh, <laughs> that's far for the course for some of us. So, yep. but uh, <laughs> obviously, check the schedule uh, Wednesday morning. You know, Wednesday morning to see if that if that game hasn't been rescheduled yet again. So. Well, that's right. Just it's not funny. Well, tune tune into Wahoo Wake Up at nine a.m. Wednesday, and we'll tell you what time the game is. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, we'll call it a night, gentlemen. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk EVA basketball. See you all next time. Yeah. All right. Wahoo. Yep. Wahoo.